2: I got frostbitten and went on.
0: Let's roll. Uh, I want to ask you about the origin of your amazing name, first of all. Do you know about the history of the ruffle?
1: Uh, No, not really. Um, I assume it's French. Right. Uh... It's a
0: great showbiz name. I'm assuming it's your
1: your birth name. Yeah, 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 it's my real name.
0: So no changes um, needed there.
1: No, people say that to me, but I never realised it was sort of a good stage name.
0: Yeah, it's a it great stage name.
1: Yeah, I guess so. It just never really it's just when it's your own name. Yeah, yeah, you don't anything.
0: look at it that way.
1: Okay, my, my dad's name is better. My dad's called Roly Ruffle.
0: Really? Rolly. Rolly. Incredible. Yeah, Rolly Ruffle. Short for Roland.
1: No, Roy. Long, Roy. Long for Roy. Right. It doesn't really make any
0: sense. <laughs> Long for Roy. Yeah. Uh you grew up in Portsmouth, which is where a good friend of mine is from, Stephen Hill. I don't know whether you know him. He used to dabble in stand-up for a couple of years about 10 years ago, but he talks very, very fondly of old Pompey. Did did you have a good time growing up there?
1: Um, There's things about it that I like and things I don't like. When I was growing up there, I found it to be, I think it can be a little bit inward looking. Uh huh. Politically, I'm not really on board with a lot of... uh,
0: Is it a bit of a Brexit stronghold, is it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, quite conservative. Right, right. Um, But like working class conservative. Uh Uh-huh. Uh,
0: Flags hanging out of windows, that kind of thing. In some areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, which isn't my vibe. No. Um, but yeah, it's all right. It's I mean, it's like anywhere. There's good and bad. There's yeah. parts of it that are lovely. You know, the seafront and the beach, really nice. And there's really lovely parts of it, and then there are really rough parts of it that you don't want to. Get there to are, see. are there? Yeah. Right. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, when you were growing up, were you like a happy kid? Did you have a lot of like friends?
1: No, I was a bit of an. well, I think a kid, yeah, when I was like at primary school, I was uh, pretty good, uh, had like mates and everything was pretty fine. Did you when enjoy it,
0: school itself?
1: No, mum said that she took me and afterwards I said, um, it, like took me on the first day and I went for a couple of days and then afterwards I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Was <laughs> She's like, like you kind of oh, have to. Yeah, you have to for like, <laughs> you know, the next the like next 15 decade. years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um or yeah 13 years so uh yeah i wasn't a massive fan of school uh certainly secondary school i hated really yeah i didn't get on i didn't i didn't like the school i didn't like the teachers um Well, it's, it's
0: amazing th- that that clip uh you know the famous viral one of yours has done something mad like 21 million yeah it's views really weird
1: now. yeah and it's just a r- true story about yeah. me in being a pain in the ass at and school and thank
0: god for your dad cuz he kind of makes my, dad, punch line, made, my
1: dad makes the punchline, which he does, you know, which he's, he's lent me a punchline <laughs> or two over the years. Um, but yeah, that clip, there's a couple of clips from that's from like a special I did from the BBC, for the BBC rather. And that's, uh, there's a few clips. One of them's on like 11 million. That one's on 20 something million. It's sort of. 21 weird. as of today, I saw. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, that's mad. Because when it was like at 1 million, I was like texting my agent, like, this clip's got to a million. That's yeah, mad. fully stoked.
0: And then and now, the numbers become so big that it's unfathomable, isn't it? You can't even wrap your head even know around it. That's what that it.
1: means, yeah. And like, there's so many comments, which I'm like, obviously, I'm not going to start looking at them because that's where like madness lies. Right. Um, but
0: does stuff like that boost your career in the way that you think that it would? Because <sighs> We very much live in this bite-sized content world now, right, where yeah. the slightest little thing can go completely viral, but then I do wonder if it does have a return. Like, are a large percentage of those 21 people, 21 million, sorry, 21 would be a, a yeah, less that'd be viral sadder. video. Yeah,
1: that would be a much... Are they
0: then coming to your shows, buying tickets, following you online? Like, do you see a, a notable I surge that, after something like that?
1: I think that the Facebook views and clips, because the the people that uh, sort of my, my agency... Very clever with all that sort of thing. And so there's always like a link to buy tickets. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's about sort of streamlining an audience. How many of those people watch a clip and then buy tickets, I don't know. But I always try and keep my ticket prices pretty low so that I'm never pricing people out. So it feels like my last tour was like 12 quid for a two hour long show with support, you know, like it's proper night out. And um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think, I mean, I think once upon a time, you know, you'd do like live at the Apollo and and obviously this predates a lot of, like, the internet clip stuff, but yeah. you do love the Apollo, and, you know... It's a clear stepping m- stone. Millions and millions would watch it live, you know, not that it's shot live, but, I mean, when it goes out, on on the time that it goes out, obviously, catch-up and stuff didn't exist, other than when you did it with your own VHS. And, and then there would be, like, massive spikes in their ticket sales. Like, I know comedians who are, you know, 10, 15 years older than me, or longer in the game than me, let's say, who did their Apollos then, you know, it would have, you know, their ne- their tour would then sell out. Yeah. You could sell a whole sh- tour, you know, a 50, 60 date tour just off of doing Live at the Apollo, which is, what, like an eight-minute set? Whereas now you've got to be so, like, Apollo, Mock the Week, 8 out of 10 cats.
0: Omnipresent. The Dave
1: shows, you know, like all of the different things. You've got to be... Like and and then you've got to be online and are you on Twitter and are you funny on Twitter and what's happening on your Instagram and are you funny on Instagram and what are you selling and what's your thing and who are you trying to and it is a bit like, there's some people that are really good at it there's some people that are a bit cringe at it and you've sort of got to find that level of being you know I'm trying to be funny because I'm trying to sell you tickets to my show but at the same time you've not you being too
0: grabby yeah, yeah it's
1: really hard because I think as a comic and certainly the sort of stand-up that I do. It's really conversational. It's like I'm sort of friendly, and I'm not—I don't know—I'm not trying to like beat you over the head. With, yeah,
0: and you're not like above I the audience, no, like a no Jimmy way. Carr type who I love. Yeah, but he's very much like. Oh no, no, no I'm, I'm f- not one of you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very
1: much. I mean, I'm the, and like the reason I sort of love doing my tour shows, and the reason that um, it's such a joy to tour is that my audience is hugely diverse, and um, I like to think that anyone can come to my tour show and have a brilliant night and no one's ever picked on and, like, I'm always the biggest joke in the room. Everything always comes down to me or something I've done and that's the sort of stand-up that I like. That's, that's the sort of stand-up that I'm inspired by and there are loads of other types of stand that exist and, you know, all of them are valid and all of them have their place but for me, that's the sort of stuff I like.
0: Who were your heroes and inspirations early on?
1: Uh, Alan Carr would definitely be one. I have watched Tooth Fairy more than any other DVD. That's his debut DVD, which I just loved. Um, and you
0: did a big tour with him. I did, Jerry.
1: Right. I opened for him on tour, which was amazing. Because I, I was a massive fan of his before I was a stand-up. So it was a huge thing to be asked to then go on the road with him, which was lovely. Was uh, that one
0: of the first big ones that you did? Or had you yeah, done a couple
1: I'd by done, that point? I'd done sort of Josh Widdicombe by that point. Maybe a few dates with Rom. Ramesh, and yeah. Nathan, but um, they weren't as big as they are now. So, sort of, I started supporting Josh during his first tour. So, the first date that we did together was maybe like 120 people. Whereas now, you know, I'm doing some of Josh's upcoming tour and it'll be a thousand and a half, like 2000. So, I've but that's just because we're really good mates and I like being. we like going on the road together yeah, and it's really yeah, yeah. fun.
0: I saw um, a, a comment on YouTube, actually, which was hilarious, and it said, um, Susie is like a female Josh Widdicombe. And I was like, what does that even mean?
1: I don't, Are yeah. They- also, I'm not because Josh. <laughs> uh, Josh and I, I think... Uh, in complete separate stand-ups as sta- uh, stand-ups, uh, columns of stand up so I'm someone, I look inwardly and tell you about how I'm feeling, Josh looks outwardly and tell you, tells you what the world looks like for him, Yeah. so we we couldn't be more different, but I think I've done a lot with Josh and always like, and I've done quite a bit of telly with him, um, and three or four shows on TV with him, and then I've done hundreds, Countless shows. Hundreds and hundreds of shows with him on the road. Um, but, you know, I like being compared to Josh. I love him. Um, but back to your earlier question of comedians that inspired me. I mean, I think that there's just so many. I mean, really, uh, like, Alan was sort of before I'd even started stand-up. I'd seen Lee Evans when I was a teenager, and I just remember thinking, how is this small man making thousands of people laugh? It was completely... I, I thought it was the, the cleverest thing I'd ever seen. And I, and, I, you know, I still think stand-ups, you know, when someone gets it really right, I think it's incredible. Um,
0: it's a powerful experience it must be commanding a room in that way without any backing or support just it's really raw exciting soul personality Well,
1: that's why it's so i mean that's why it's so uh doing it is so amazing and that is why the stakes are so high because when it's amazing it's incredible like you know uh i did live at the Apollo last year it's probably my favorite gig of the year um it was um obviously it's packed it's like yeah. uh, three and a half thousand people I I was on with uh, Kerry Godleyman, who's a really good friend of mine. She was hosting the show, so I had been with her all day. Felicity Ward was on the early show, another really good friend of mine, so it felt like a really fun day where I was with people that I really liked. I didn't have too much time in my dressing room by myself to get nervous.
0: So you are distracted from the pressure? Distracted,
1: I knew the makeup ladies because they'd done my makeup before for other TV shows. So there was all, everything was, it just felt fun. I was having a laugh all day. And then I had this sort of dreamy gig. Um, which was just amazing, and when you, yeah, when you hear three and a half thousand people laugh all at the same time, and they're lit when you do live at the Apollo as well. So normally when you're in a comedy club, it's very dark. Uh, Is but, that
0: just so they can get the reactions for TV? Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah, yeah exactly. So um, the so you can see them. Yeah, yeah. So you know if you're not having a great time. And people had warned me of that. Like, you know, there might be people that like get up and go to the toilet, or there might be people that move around. And in are whatever. they a paying
0: audience, or are they there as
1: no? They're like um, competition winners. Or... No, no, no. It's like SRO, the people that like give out free tickets for all TV shows. So no one ever pays to watch telly being right. recorded. Um, you've just got to, like sign up on a list and queue from really early, and you get in. Um, but I could I could see my girlfriend, which was really weird, and oh, she nice. was like, I don't know, like she was she wasn't in the first bank of seats she was behind like the the like the little walkway area and there's a new bank of seats and she wasn't even in the first couple of rows of that so i was like you can really see everyone and 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 you know the reaction was great and i you know the wind was blowing in my favor that night and i had a really special gig and when yeah when you make that many people laugh at the same time it's it's like magic and, like I, and, I, and I and i love it and i think that's why you know, I'm doing lots of other bits and pieces, and I've always had an interest in doing stuff outside of stand-up. But I don't think I could ever move that far away from stand-up because I just love it.
0: Because of the addiction to the yeah, and it's just the it's like the nothing feeling. else.
1: Like so, today I've been working on my new show, which I'm taking up to Edinburgh. I've been writing it all day. I've been trying to work out this new part of the show. I think I might have cracked it today. I'm going to go and try it tonight, and I'll know whether I was right by nine o'clock. And there's and I, there's very few jobs that are like that. If you're a musician, you have to put it, the sound all together, and you got to get the band together. And unless you're someone that's like you know gigging about as a musician, but you know just to go, oh, I did, I wrote that today, and I'm going to find out if it works. tonight, there's nothing quite as it's as quick the as that.
0: immediacy of the reaction yeah. as well, right? Yeah, and also you're the writer, the director, the performer. Yeah, you're every element of the, yeah. the end product.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I do, I I have a director for like a little for my edinburgh shows for like the last maybe month and a half she's a my friend rose johnson who's like a really great actress and sketch performer as well and she does a bit of stand-up as well and she's brilliant and she basically just to give just to have another eye yeah yeah because yeah. when yeah. you've got that pressure well, you're so of,
0: in it aren't you it can so be hard sometimes it. and to also, be objective.
1: sometimes it's hard to you will think you've told the audience something and she'll be like you didn't mention that i'm like i'm sure i did not she'll be like you didn't is adrenaline a part of that yeah yeah, because you're in that buzz zone yeah I think so and it's you know it is the 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 riding of the waves and sometimes it's nice to have and a lot of people have that for their Edinburgh shows or for their tour shows they'll have a director just to just to get another pair of eyes on it because you're absolutely right like I write all my own stuff and obviously I'm the only one up there and um, you know the pressure's huge to get Mm -hmm. it right and it means that when you smash it it's amazing because you're like look at what I've done when you die on your ass it's awful because you're like look what i've done <laughs> well i was going to ask you on the
0: flip side is that the most yeah. devastating of feelings or do you kind of take those losses as part of the experience and build on them and
1: i mean it's never nice anyone like there are people that are like oh you know i i, I you know i, I bombed and it's fine with grace yeah. <laughs> yeah i i i mean it's awful having a bad game isn't it's awful it's dreadful and like you know i've had shows in edinburgh Obviously not every night, but you have like bad nights in Edinburgh. You do twenty six nights on the bounce. You're bound to have a handful that are tricky, most that are good, a handful that are amazing. On one or two, stinkers that hurt, <laughs> that make your, that make you blush.
0: Do you ever doubt yourself to such a point where you consider throwing in the towel with a bad show? Has there ever been moments like that for you?
1: No, not after one bad show. But I've certainly. There was certainly was a phase where I thought, I'm not sure if I'm good enough for this. So basically, my my biggest fear was being sort of mediocre and getting to a level of like, good enough. Yeah, always three stars. That's what she is. And
0: plateauing, kind of.
1: Yeah, and just and and and, and I just with stand up, and I'm sure it's so similar for like the actors and the musicians you've interviewed as well. Like you really give your whole life to it. So for ten years, I've N- not done much but eat, sleep and breathe comedy well you um, you
0: miss out on weddings yep. christenings yep. birthdays yep. events holidays yep. so much stuff like that yeah, because last year you're my, broke right for so long
1: yeah and last year my girlfriend and I went to Spain for a week and I had to fly home for two days of filming like it yeah. just takes over your life it takes and, its
0: toll on relationships
1: yeah it? yeah yeah luckily my girlfriend is um, amazingly supportive and brilliant and she totally gets it but there are other relationships that have failed and I think a lot of them are to do with the hours that you keep and the fact that it becomes all encompassing, and I think it sort of needs to. Certainly in the early days. Now I can, now I can have a, you know days off and I can have a bit of space from it. But certainly when you're you know one of, you know, 15 open spots that both that want to get on the the bill tonight and there's only eight spots, you've got to turn up early and you've got to wait until 11 and you've got to to get your five minute set. And you know everyone does that, um, but there were. I did a couple of Edinburgh shows. They both were fine. Not that interesting. No one was blown away by them. No one tore them apart. That was sort of where I was at. I did a tour with Ramesh. Rom was killing it every night. I was having good enough gigs, but nothing exciting. And after that, I sort of thought, oh, I'm not sure that I'm ever going to be as good as Ramesh or Josh. And I'm not sure if I have the tenacity or the skill to carry on doing it and I thought then that was that was in probably like 2014 yeah about 2014 2015 where I thought do you know what I'm not I'm not sure that I can keep on doing this because it's it's taking over every part of my life and as you say like I'm missing out on other parts of my life and I don't want to do all of that to be someone that's on the circuit for the rest of their life. And there's nothing wrong with being on the circuit. Circuit gigs are amazing. I've loved circuit gigs. You know, there's clubs that I still love playing. But it's hardcore, isn't it? Yeah, and I know that, like, you know, at some point I want to become a mother, and at some point, you know, I want to have a family and settle down. And I just knew that that sort of road life, I don't, you know, I'm quite happy doing it now. Um, And I love doing it for the tour, and it's slightly different when you're on the road, but it's because you're doing your own thing rather than being part of a mixed bill. Yeah. Um, But I just knew that sort of wasn't, what I wanted because I know that I want all those other things in my life and I knew that I didn't want to be you know 45 and still obsessed with stand-up you know I, I I think I'll be obsessed with it to a degree but I knew that that wasn't what I really wanted and so I thought I'll write another Edinburgh show I'll see I'll try and be a bit more honest I'll try and do some talk about something I haven't talked about before which was sort of my working class heritage which is never really something that I'd I'd sort of hinted at on stage, but I'd never really dissected. And then in, I think 2017, no, it must be da, 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 must be 2016, that's right. I took up a show called Common, and all of a sudden there was a shift. And- um, Is
0: that, do you think, because you were opening up and revealing yeah. more of yourself?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think I have, was just more experienced as a stand-up. Some people start and they're great at the beginning. I was someone that was great at performing. My writing wasn't amazing. And there were bits of it that was good at, but I could do all the voices, I could do little act-outs, I could do all that fun side of it, but I wasn't so good at sitting down and really doing the work on the writing. And I think that's because it intimidated me, I'm really dyslexic, I didn't go to university. You know, prior to becoming a stand-up, the last time I had sat and written anything down was probably for my GCSEs. Really? Wow. So it's not yeah, like yeah. I'd ever had to write, you know, I certainly never had to write a dissertation Dissertations essay. or, yeah. Yeah, Never. Like and so the the whole idea of writing or being a writer felt I was like no, no no I'm a performer I'm a performer that's what I do I perform um and it took me it was a really long journey for me to be able to think oh no I can I I I am a writer as well and I'm good enough to be um considered to be a writer but it, yeah and so I think that when I started really talking about things that I genuinely feel rather than like doing an impression of what a comedian was, which I think my first couple of shows were.
0: Or more broad, observational stuff. Yeah,
1: and and when I was sort of looking more inward was when I sort of first started to have my sort of, people started to take a bit of notice, people were a bit more interested. Um, Yeah, people started to give a shit a bit more.
0: Do you find that there are less working class comedians now than there were when you started, or?
1: um, I'm not really sure, I mean, it's really hard. I I can't work out if I'm still working class because I've just <laughs> bought a flat and with my girlfriend, helped to buy, so it's not like I've got loads of money. Um, but I have managed to get on the property ladder. You know, I'm from, a, my mum and dad own their house. You know, not outright, they've got a mortgage. Um, but they certainly both grew up in very, you know, very working class environment grafted. my dad yeah my dad really and, and still now my dad's a real graft he's 65 there's no chance he's going to be stopping working he's soon. he's not retired no 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 because he works for himself he right. sells lorries if he stops selling lorries he hasn't got you know other than a state pension no pen, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no money and so
0: that's my fear of old age I'm only 33 but I'm terrified oh I'm <laughs> the same age I'm off, the same I'm like, yeah there's no pension plan <laughs> oh yeah absolutely
1: that's exactly how <laughs> so I you feel you've got to
0: work work now haven't you
1: yeah exactly that's exactly how I feel um, but yeah I think the thing with being working class, being a comedian, the thing that makes it hard is that, and I have also got to say, I was really lucky because I am from a very sort of working class family. But if I couldn't pay my rent, my dad would always help me. You know, even if even if it hurt them, they'd help me. You know, so I'm very lucky in that respect, and I know that. But the reason is there'll be fewer working class people at the fringe because it's so expensive to go.
0: And so it's almost impossible for people of a certain economic okay, position so to, to be you able an to idea. afford the is it full know. month.
1: So you do the full month. Yeah. give you an idea, last year I was in a 60-seater room in Edinburgh. I sold out every single night. I put on two extra shows in bigger rooms, in 100-seaters. Every ticket was gone for the whole of the run. I still came away £1,000 down.
0: Was it a lavish production? No. No? It's just because of the cost of being of the, in Edinburgh for that month and being in accommodation? That
1: month, you've got a... Uh, Pay whatever
0: rent you're paying back home.
1: And pay rent up here. You've got to pay rent on the room. You've got to pay for a tech. You've got to pay for the flyers, the flyers, the poster, the photo design. So they charge Uh, every
0: performer for their room by the hour, do they all? mm -hmm. Yeah, wow.
1: And so it's, and like, and that's the best I've ever done at the Fringe. A thousand pounds down. You're like, that is... Financially,
0: that's the best you've ever done. yeah. Yeah.
1: And my agency are notorious for not, like, my agency... I don't pay them to produce me. and Like, they're not... Um, they're really upfront. They don't take the piss with us. They're really fair. You know, where there are other agencies that, you know, you will pay... You pay them a huge amount of money for them to produce you as well. So there's people... I've got friends that have come away from Edinburgh after having a good run eight grand down. It's mad. It's mad. But it's like...
0: If you do it and it's successful, are you... A lot more guaranteed to then.
1: Yeah, you get stuff like you know go like on telly and. Yeah. So it's
0: almost an essential stepping stone in. Well, the I guess it's like pay- funding
1: a... your own EP or something. Yep. Or you know, or when people put out their own, you know. But I guess, I guess the difference is, if you fund now. your own EP,
0: there's no guarantee it's going to get put on the radio. No. But does something like an Edinburgh experience massively increase your chances of?
1: No, because there'll spots, be
0: opening spots on live tours.
1: Uh, opening spots on live tours, maybe, but there'll be like hundreds upon hundreds of comics that go up to the fringe this year and they'll get very little out of it other than becoming a better comic. And that's the thing. I mean, I think that the, the fringe is changing. There are venues that are doing it differently now and that, um, that are maybe a bit fairer in how they do it. But it's really difficult because you've got to be up there selling your wares for people to see you for then, for me to get more work for next year, so it's like this constant. Is there a escape. fear that
0: if you don't go up there, you're going to miss out as well to like get I that kind of
1: I think this year I probably c- could have not gone because I've got enough sort of telly and bits and bobs in the diary to keep me busy. But I wanted a new t- show to tour, and the best way to kick it into shape to do a nationwide tour is to do a month in Edinburgh. Yeah. Because be like, it'll be like it will go up and it'll be pretty tight, and it'll be funny all the way through. It'll be pretty tight by the end of the month. There won't be a you know that there, there won't be a beat out and that's where you want to take around the country that was like the last tour that i did was so much fun the best one i've ever had great audiences like
0: what was the last tour called keep it class was that the no last that one? was the previous that's one the, one the last
1: one was called nocturnal right and it was so fun i loved it so much every audience was brilliant and it was because the show was so tight and so and if i chatted to someone i knew exactly how to get back into it because it was like I know, it was, like, in my bones. It was, in, yeah, like, you yeah, know, I yeah. just knew it so well. Whereas when you first got up to Edinburgh, you're like, what is the next bit?
0: What's the next bit? <laughs> yeah, 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 What's
1: yeah. the next bit? You're, you're saying other words. And your Do you ever going, have,
0: like, placement cards on the stage or anything like that where you've got visual cues? I've, uh, I've hid them before. You have? Yeah. I've noticed that Stuart Lee always has, like, just scribbles on his hand.
1: Yeah, a lot of people use their hands. I can't use my hands because I touch my face so much. <laughs> yeah. Then I end so up with ink on in my face. Smudged all down you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've, I, have, I have in the past hidden things on the back of um, amps and stuff.
0: Because Steven Tyler from Aerosmith has these, but obviously they've got all the money in the world. Yeah. He has these screens that are invisible from the front of the room, but they're literally like teleprompters on the stage. Oh,
1: I've can, seen those. Not so with him, but I've lyrics. seen those, That the invisible teleprompters. Yeah. People use them at like the BAFTAs and stuff. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... What's I the actual
0: experience of Edinburgh like from a, um, a personal growth point of view? Like, do you get to Bond and hang out and spend a lot of time with comedians up there is it a fun social event or are you all Eesh. so busy working and you obviously don't want to go out and party because then the show's going to suffer It's like, a mixture of is both. it a bit of a rock and roll chaotic
1: i think it month is for some well. people yeah. n- Not. i think i'm a bit boring right <laughs> because professional well, serious so professional yeah and like i like, you know i've got some comedy mates like who i'm living with this year Rosie Jones Jenny Bead both brilliant both really good friends. I've got a bunch of friends up there this year, actually, that I really, really love, that would be really great to hang out with. But, you know, I don't feel the need to go out every night. I've got friends in London. Like I've got my friends who are non-comedy people or who are comedy people that won't be at the Fringe. Um, and, it, you know, there'll, there'll be a few nights where I'll go out. But then, if you get drunk, you feel hungover the next day. Yeah. You don't feel as good a day. Is
0: there anything worse than doing stand-up hungover? I imagine it would be pretty
1: pretty punishing. Yeah, pretty punishing yeah especially cuz i'm really physical it's not like i just put the mic in the stand and talk yeah i'm like running about all over the place and so like it's um i mean it is a bit of a trade fair and it is a, and like you know and i know that i other comedians have said to me before in edinburgh god you're boring here
0: really yeah but not i just not on the stage hopefully no, no. <laughs> not on stage but i just yeah.
1: think oh it's so expensive to go and i put you know if you've got a great audience and you're not great that night, then it's really your fault. Yeah. And I also think, you know, there's, you know, people don't have loads of money. And if people are paying 12 quid to come and see you, you've got you to bring the, show. the best, yeah. yeah, you've got to bring it. And I think that it's, yeah, I think it's a bit of a piss take if you're like, you know, I certainly made errors. I went on stage drunk when I was um, very new and made a real tit of myself and really learnt my lesson
0: was that out of a nervousness and a dutch courage no, or was it just I forgot, one night you I
1: forgot that i had a gig and oh, all right, right. Alan Carr. Oh, really? <laughs> that'll do it
0: he seems like he enjoys a drink does he do that on the road and still deliver because he's always getting uh, pissed on his tv show
1: yeah no i mean he's very professional on the road right. he's really uh i guess tv really for someone like that back.
0: is more just like a busman's holiday right because yeah i also think
1: that he's probably not drinking half as much as, as the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 yeah, 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 and, yeah. Uh, you know, he's still reading the auto cure, right? So yeah, you know yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, he's probably being quite behaved.
0: I love Alan Carr, what a man. Mm. Um, so when you Brilliant moved to guy. London, when you initially moved to London, yeah, uh, are you at home right away? Is it a daunting new scenario? Is oh, it I an eye opening new environment? Because coming from somewhere like Portsmouth to London, at what age was it? At 18,
1: yeah, I was at 18. I came up to go to drama school, which I loved. Um, it was. Everything I wanted it to be. It was so exciting. It was, you know, it was moving away to the big city. It was, I loved it. I mean, I lived in a really rough flat in Tooting. Like retrospectively, I'm like, why did I love it? We didn't have a. They made one of the the, the living room. They made the living room a bedroom, so our living room became like this hall area. <laughs> like the landlord took the absolute piss. What a get, Like taking money off students. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I'll tell you what dates it, my rent was 360 pounds a month. Uh, That'll date it, Uh, in tooting, but I just loved it. Or I was was surrounded by people that were into theater, like I I was and I I still am, and into acting, and into, and were a bit different and a bit quirky like me, and it was probably the, I'd had experiences when I'd been in like drama clubs and things as a kid, but it was the first time I remember after like a term driving home and just feeling like oh there's people like me like just you found your like, place in the world almost yeah yeah and just going home for Christmas and having a lovely time but c- couldn't wait to get back and I just loved it and I still love London like Portsmouth is home because that's where my family are and um, and, and I you know I'm really close to my family I've got a lovely family but London is it still feels like it's mine and it still feels exciting like the other day I was I was doing a show. I was doing I was doing a show in Brighton, but I had a meeting in Soho, and I had like an hour to get to get to London Bridge for my train. So I like walked through the Strand, down over um, Waterloo Bridge, and you know the view both sides. Is I mean, think that never
0: gets old, does it? No,
1: that's the thing. And even though it was raining, because it's London, London, <laughs> it just still felt. I don't know. It feels special, and it feels like the kind of place where anything can happen. And it do, and it still feels like a place where. You know i know that we've seen some quite troubling things on in the media lately and you know especially some homophobic stuff and stuff happening in london which i find especially upsetting
0: the, the, the bus story yeah
1: the bus story but uh, there's you know there's story there's horrible stories like that every week unfortunately it yeah. just happened that that one got picked up you know and unfortunately it happens a lot more to, to men um and um not a lot more i don't know that for a fact what's that that might be bollocks but I've seen a lot more stories about that happening to men on public transport but it I refuse to allow to think that sort of bigots own this place it for me it feels somewhere where it is super inclusive and it is um and oh, people it's an are welcome. incredibly diverse place. Yeah, I mean, and I you, love. You
0: walk along the street and you just see a rainbow of just characters. Yeah, and exactly. Individuals and.
1: And I think that's why London always felt exciting for me because it felt like a place where people came to sort of be themselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, Without
0: fear of ridicule and. Yeah,
1: and I and I think that. I hope. Yeah, I hope, and I think London still has that, or still has some of that. More for me. of that. Yeah. Certainly more than, than Portsmouth ever felt. And so, yeah, I still, it still feels a bit special to me.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical
2: plans are available for these changing times.
0: How old were you when you figured out that you were gay? I
1: was about four. Is that
0: something that happens?
1: Yeah, yeah, it worked for me, yeah.
0: In like a moment of epiphany? Is yeah. it a slow, gradual realisation? No, I remember
1: noticing a girl's bum in some very tight trousers at school. Right. And then realising... How,
0: how old were you at that about point? 13 or 14. Right, right. And um, that's kind of when it happens for everyone, What, whatever yeah. your sexuality yeah, is. Yeah, I yeah. think that's when you And kind I remember of become... seeing
1: boys looking as well and me thinking... Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh. But I didn't come out until I was... Nearly twenty one, so, so much
0: later, and after a couple of years in London. So even when you got to London, it wasn't yeah, like instantly
1: no, you went. No, I had I had a boyfriend, and I was absolutely desperate not to be gay. And that's the interesting.
0: Is, do you think that's something that a lot of people go through? Is that?
1: I think so. I think it's becoming. I want to fit now. in.
0: Let's try and just.
1: Yeah, I think less now. Like if I know a go. lot of. I know you know. I I've got a cousin who is at school and out, and he couldn't give a shit what anyone thinks of him, and he's amazing and inspiring um and he's 15 um and then you know i because of a podcast that i do with tom allen um, like-minded friend, like right? yeah. friends yeah which is which so is,
0: you've been on that for a while you were like the one of the early podcasters just before the the big boom
1: yeah we've we've been out there for a while and it's just me and tom allen talking about stuff
0: yeah and do you, t- do you talk a lot about gender politics and sexual identity bit, in that? in there or is it more just mates bit, having fun
1: a bit i mean it, we're always going to be two gay people hosting it yeah so you know sometimes you can't help but be it can't help it be a political act just in the fact that we're being there and we're saying it and we're living our lives in a very open, unashamed way. And certainly because we have listeners in countries where homosexuality is yet to be decriminalised. Yeah. Which is How mad. many is that?
0: How many are there in the world 71. Still? 71 still. Yeah.
1: And punishable by death in 11. Mm. Fuck. So it's, yeah, it's still pretty, it's uh, still pretty ropey out there for a lot of LGBT plus people. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, I don't know, it's, I had, like, a, a moment uh, where I thought, oh, yeah, I, I am definitely this, but it took me a very long time to not be ashamed of it. And I think that there are some young people, and certainly, as I was about to say, that get in touch because of the podcast. I know more about them because they reach out to us a lot and send us lots of emails, which is amazing and lovely, and I always love hearing from them, and they're always so brave. Like, I'm 14, and I'm out at school, and you're like, wow, I can't even imagine being that brave. You're so... And so I think that, it, you know, there's certainly more... LGBT plus reputation in the me- representation in the media, which is really important. Um, but when I was growing up, there was much less of that. And I just, I was desperate to be normal. I was desperate to be normal. I, I, I always think it's a strange thing when people, certainly when homophobic people will think, when people think it's a choice Because it would be such a bizarre choice.
0: Yeah, to make your life drastically harder.
1: Yeah, like, you know, my girlfriend and I are engaged. We're thinking about where we're going to go on our honeymoon. And you have to think we want to go somewhere hot, but it can't be somewhere where we can't be us. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of places where you can't do that. There's countries and there's um, cities in the UK that I wouldn't hold hands with Alice.
2: Really? Yeah, yeah. And
0: that's from going there a lot through touring and getting a read for the, the local...
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been... The Character. only times I ever get heckled is because of my sexuality. I've been, you know, I've been shouted out at the street. People have spat at me in the street. Like, it happens. Like, you know, we like to... Is that because turn... you're
0: a recognisable lesbian oh, or...
1: I think it's because I'm recognisable as a lesbian, not because of being famous or anything. It's because I have short hair. I don't necessarily... I always have makeup on, but I sort of... I'm not... I don't necessarily dress hugely femininely. I'm sort of androgynous in how I like to present myself. Um, so that I...
0: happens a lot. Does it people who don't know... <laughs> But you definitely are. But assume that you are. Shout horrible stuff.
1: Either. Well, not a lot. A lot would be. Um, I think it happens. You know, there are a lot of other people that. It, Even it, wants is
0: too much,
2: right?
1: Yeah, it happens. Um, and you know, it's never nice. Or like you know, you'll get people giving you dirty looks. Or, um, you know, that it's impossible to. Um, I don't know, it's difficult because I live in this sort of media bubble of London and all of my friends are very, you know, left open-minded and, and left, death. yeah. And you sort of forget well, that, that was what
0: the I guess the, the surprise of Brexit for a lot Absolutely. of people, wasn't it? it? Was People don't think that way. Yeah, and of course. I'm from Birmingham and I go back to Birmingham all the time and I love Birmingham and that's yeah. my home. And there's certainly a very strong working-class flag-out-the-window element yeah. in a lot of Birmingham suburbs, even though it's got so many people of you know, different ethnicities and religions living there. There's no real integration in the same way that there is in London. And Mm. and my little town, Solihull, was, I think, a massive stronghold for for Brexit. Yeah.
1: It's really, yeah, it's
0: But people who don't leave London don't necessarily see that, do they? So they just assume that everyone... And I think the internet's a big part of that as well, isn't it? A lot of people will just delete their school friends who might be, you know, inclined to say racist or homophobic things. So they just think, oh, out of sight, out of mind.
1: Yeah, and, like, I mean... Talking, talking of Birmingham, you know, the, the diversity is obviously a fantastic thing, but then, like, you know, the no outsiders thing that happened at the Parkfield School that started in Birmingham also happened in other schools. It also wasn't just people um, that were, you know, following the Islamic faith. It was also Catholic people and people, uh, you know, from all sorts of religion that didn't want their children to be taught that gay people existed. And that became a, a, a massive thing. Uh, sort of from uh, that I saw from like my friends, and my friendship group, and people, you know, and, and with the girls, what we were saying about being attacked on the bus, you, you know, people go, oh my god, I can't believe people think like this. I can't believe people feel like this, and it's like, yeah, it is. You know that that doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't surprise me that people were protesting outside of a school to say that children, I don't want my child to know that gay people exist, because what they are protesting really, what that is really saying is, I hope my kid's not gay. That's, oh, that's what that openly is openly saying that isn't it yeah openly saying yeah. that and that because
0: there's something inherently wrong with that exactly or evil even yeah, worse
1: exactly and that you know whilst things are getting better for LGBT people it's impossible not to see that and feel you know imagine if you were 15 and you lived down the road from that school and you had just worked out that you were gay and you just worked out that you fancied you know her rather than him or him rather than her and you went past that every day or you saw that in the news every day, you saw your parents talking about that every day. What that does to a young
0: kid's psyche, yeah.
1: I mean, it's so damaging. It's so, so damaging in a way that I think, um, I mean, I've described this before on podcasts. I'm sorry if anyone's listening, I'm repeating myself, but (laughs) I felt until I was like, I'm 33 now, same as you, and I feel like until I was about 30, I wore a backpack of shame. Every day it was heavy. Because I was so I, I, I was still I still held so much shame around my gayness. And I was up on stage and I was being out and I was loud and I was proud about it. But really I still had quite a lot of internalized homophobia that I had that I was yet to deal with that that I had that I have done so in the, the last few years. And it all comes down to how I thought about myself as a teenager and how much shame and disgust I found I felt around my sexuality because of how much shame and disgust society was telling me to have and I'm and like you know you see things getting better and you think "Oh, things are better now for gay people or for LGBT plus people and then you see things like that and you're like oh no that's putting some more shame in the backpack of those kids that um you know and so it's it is uh yeah, it's a, it's still difficult. I think I don't know, exactly know where the question started, but I know I just kept talking. There and... are no questions. Yeah, that's why. Just then. topics.
0: Um, so, assumedly, you say that you're very close to your family. Yes. Assumedly, their response when you came out and told them was nothing but support and love. And
1: yeah, I think that they were a bit surprised. My mum didn't really know any gay people. Um, she knows lots of them now. <laughs> <laughs> um, she went to the Pri- it was Pride in Portsmouth last weekend, and I wasn't home, but she went to sort of stand on the street and clap while, nice. the, while, the, while the march walked down, which I thought was brilliant. Um, yeah, I think my mum had moments of confusion. I think she had created an idea of what my life might look like. She also knew that I was going to experience homophobia, and I don't think any parent wants their child.
0: Well to protect you from that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so my mum did say, is it a phase? Are you sure it's not a phase? You're very young, how could you know? You know, you haven't had any boyfriends. Maybe it's that. You know, because she didn't want me to live a life where people might shout at me in the street, or where you know I couldn't go to certain places. Because everybody wants their kid to have an easy life. Um, certainly now, you know she's hugely supportive and is very excited that I'm getting married and is very supportive about When's everything. The date? Uh, it's May next year, so we've got a little You've while. Got a while. We've got eleven months. Well, congratulations to plan it. on the engagement. Thanks. It's very nice. It's uh, it's very exciting.
0: And expensive, right?
1: Yeah, it's a bit expensive. (laughs) But it's quite, like, you know, it's still... It's really... It's big because, you know, gay people have only been allowed to get married in the UK since March 2014. It's only been five years that we've... That I've had the right to be able to be someone that gets married. So it is still a big... Yeah, it's still a big thing. And, yeah, my family have been very supportive uh, in, in sort of the grand scheme of things. And, um... Certainly my aunts, my uncles, my cousins and even my nan who I came out to. She's not with us anymore, but um, I came out to her when she was about 91, 92 and she was very, okay. I think maybe by the time you've seen a world war and shit go on and you've sort of seen everything, you can sort of be like, yeah, all right, gay people exist, that's fine. I don't mind that I'm related to one of them. Um, but yeah, I think that there's there's also a, a suggestion in sort of working class people that they might be you know homophobic or racist but often I found that uh, working class people rub up against more different types of people than anyone else if you live in a very middle class or even upper class world the likelihood is you're only ever going to mix with people that are just like you yeah because they're university educated probably white uh not everyone obviously but if you're, you're of a those certain kind of age people as
0: well are less likely to express those opinions but more likely to have them yeah I think you're right? probably right yeah Because the air of respectability and keeping up appearances. You don't show your true colours as much, but I feel like those people are a lot more inclined to be. Like, my mum's bipolar, Mm -hmm. and so I grew up with, you know, a very suburban white picket fence community around us judging my family as, oh, that's the kid with the crazy mum, you know? And that that was, uh, you know, something that I was, you know, experiencing from a very young age all the way through my teenage years. That must have been
1: so hard. I think You must have wanted to protect her, but also be... It's when know. it's kind
0: of all you know. Do you yes. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I guess the same thing with you. Like, it's all you know that those adversities that you face are obviously challenging.
1: But it's just your life. But
0: it's just your life, and it does yeah. make you stronger and more sympathetic, I think, towards other people's struggles yeah, and definitely.
1: plights. Definitely. I'm really... I feel like... You know sometimes you meet people and, like, you, you think, you've not had it hard enough. Yeah, yeah. It's like when you meet really attractive people and you're like, yeah. oh, you haven't developed a personality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah, never yeah. needed one. you haven't had to, yeah. yeah. You just stand you there. You never needed to be funny. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um... No, I'm a big believer in that. I think yeah. these things make you stronger and better and if you can survive them what's scary is when the people who obviously can't and don't you know decide that you know life's too much and
1: yeah they
0: do it that's what really breaks my heart. Yeah, because...
1: absolutely. Also I think that the more open you are like I've talked about being someone with anxiety on stage a lot before my, my last show was all about that and um, you know the more that you, you the more you talk about that sort of thing, the more you, the more people talk to you about being the same. Okay, oh yeah, me too. Yeah, massively. Or you know so. that when I, you know that I'd have people waiting for me every night after the tour, being like, I'm, I have, I had a bit in the last show where I talked about um, the fact that I worry in the middle of the night and I call it my 3am press conference, And right. all the voices in my head I'd meet up to have a chat.
0: And are you awake, and, awake at that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm awake. Yeah. And I'm
1: going like, North Korea, global warming. We should stop using straws did that person look at me funny, does that person like me, did I say the wrong thing, I sent that text, it was a joke, I hope they realized it was a joke. Oh God, Donald Trump, oh God, Brexit, what's, what's gonna to happen to the country, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I love this country, so you, but I don't have you have a have super overactive
0: blah, 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 minded imagination yeah. like me.
1: Yeah, 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 and the amount of people that will come up to me after the show and go, I get three a.m. press conferences <laughs> too. Um, I feel which, less
0: alone now, I feel better about it. Well, that's the thing, and yeah. that's
1: the thing that I love about stand-up, you know. I'm, I'm really, I never wanna be someone that's like, you know, comedies. Comedy's amazing, guys. It will save your life, but it, there is something there is something about talking about stuff and normalising it. And certainly, you know, I find that with my audience, I've got a really mixed audience. Loads of straight people come and see me. Lots of gay people come and see me. You know, and everyone in between, and um, you know, non-binary people, and who you know, and trans people. Whoever wants to come is so welcome there. And um, it's, I don't know. I think just standing on stage and saying this is how I feel this is who I am even if you're not different in the same way that I'm different I think it makes people go oh my differences are also valid
0: yeah my kooks what what you perceive as your flaws but actually they're just your idiosyncrasies that define who you are
1: yeah and there's like and there's nothing to be ashamed about that and you know I think that's a really big I don't know I think shame is the thing that can be really damaging and I think like be just being really open about that sort of stuff um, you know, whether it's anxiety or depression, or being a member of the LGBT community, or you know, whatever else it is, or being proud of your heritage, or whatever it is. I think people stand up on stage and talk about things. I think it's great for everyone. because you're hearing a different person's, you know, l- insight into the world, you're getting a little, you know, a little caption of what they are and what they believe, and uh, yeah, and I think it's just, that's why I love stand-up, because as you say, there was, there's no one else writing it for you. It's unedited. It's just this is who I am. This is how I feel. This is what I think. And and I'm and I'm going to make it funny. Yeah, that that's, that's the
0: key, isn't it? And I think what makes a really great stand-up, like the difference between a good and a great, is a good stand-up will kind of talk and express ideas, but a great stand-up will really communicate them
1: to yeah. an audience. And yeah. they'll really
0: make a connection and engage and change the way that the audience member perhaps thinks
1: think and hopefully
0: make them laugh as well.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that you can... You can change people's opinion through laughter. You know, I really think that you can, um, you can really connect. But also, I think, I've said this before, but I think laughter is so good for the soul.
0: Yeah, it is. So, well, it's a great form of therapy and healing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. As is crying. Like.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has the same. Sitting in a room, laughing, really laughing at something. You know, it's whether it's you know whether it's in a comedy club or it's with your friends. You know, it's so great, if you get a really good laugh out so much that you feel sort of exhausted by it, it's, you're, you, you feel great for the next few days. It's so good for you. And that's why I love stand-up. And if I can, you know, I sometimes facilitate that for people, you know, when people will send me messages, you know, on Twitter, I saw Caesar Office tour last night, I'm still laughing at lunchtime. I'm like, great, that's great. That, that's, that's the ultimate reward, right? Yeah, and it's nice doing the telly, and it's nice, you know, being able to afford, you know. How
0: different I'm, is the telly stuff? Putting my mic over there. Okay. The experience of it. Does it feel more controlled and staged and less unpredictable and
1: It depends what you're doing. So I'm not I'd be the last person to say that I'm like hugely experienced with TV. You know, I've done a fair bit of telly in the last couple of years. Previous to that I hadn't really done any. Um when you're doing stand up on telly, it's less loose because you're sort of working to a script. Yeah. And you also need to know that you can't say anything that be like Liable. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can't do anything that's um a certain rude words that you absolutely cannot say.
0: What are the rude words that you absolutely cannot I don't say? Don't you allowed to say motherfucker or cunt? That they're the two, is I it? I think so. Right.
1: Yeah. I've said fuck before on telly. Just
0: not with the mother in front of it. I don't think you're allowed
1: to say. It. But maybe I've just assumed that. I don't know why I think that, but I feel like it's no motherfuckers, no cunts.
0: Or well, maybe people can tweet in and find out so we don't, so <laughs> we don't have to Google it. I'm sure. They're, 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 but I'm sure people
1: will texting and be like oh so and so did and so but I'm sure there's different rules to different people I'm sure Frankie Boyle has said, has said some terrible things but what
0: do you think about that can I ask you about that real quick about uh people who say things that are very offensive in the context of a joke and then people who get offended you can't say that you know say if someone's making a joke about uh, a topic like rape let's say
1: yeah I would it's not for me I, I'm not going to police what anybody says but I wouldn't be the comedian making that joke I for you know, I can only really talk about what I do on stage. I think that a lot of people make jokes, like I don't think that anyone's language should be pleased. I also just think some things are a bit nasty and grubby and I think they're a bit of a prick if yeah. they do it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't like it and I don't really think it's stand up for me, but I also don't want to live in a society where someone says you can and can't say this. Yeah. Um but
0: I think that's the thing, isn't it, is if you don't like that joke or that person, don't go see them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But then you shouldn't be going, well, you shouldn't be allowed to say that because there are people out there who clearly do find that funny. But then it's like, what are the long-term implications of that? I don't it's it's a multi-layered argument, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think think people should be careful. I think, you know, but I, I can only talk about what it is for me. For me, the idea of upsetting anyone by, you know, saying the wrong thing or being, you know, lazy with my language, using a punchline where I said something, you know, if I you know offended anyone, unless I offended someone who was like some homophobic wanker. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'd love to offend you. mate, I hope yeah. I offend you for the next? <laughs> fucking... I'll offend you until the cows come. I'll do a whole special. just Yeah, on exactly. You. But I really. Well, like... it's
0: about someone feeling discluded, right?
1: Yeah, because I know what that feels like. Yeah, I know what it feels like to be discluded. I know what it feels like to feel like your well, opinion doesn't out. matter. Yeah, it's really rough. And so I think it's really important that, for me, in my stand-up, that it feels like everyone's welcome and no one should be made to feel silly. And, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm massively soft on stage, but I'm also not a huge fan of people that take the piss out of the audience. You know, I know some people love it, some people sit in the front row because they like having the piss stripped out of them, but some people hate it. And I've seen, you know, comics do what I think is quite lazy work, sometimes quite hacky stuff. On the crowd. Yeah. Like, you know, two guys in check shirts. It's a bit broke back. It's like, well, let's unpack that. Firstly, you're saying these two guys are gay. Then you're saying calling someone gay is an insult. Yeah.
0: yeah this yeah. is so lazy.
1: Yeah. This is bad comedy. Uh, that's what that is. And I And I really dislike that when people just pick on the front row. I think it's... I think chatting to the front row, I think talking to them, I think if they say something funny, if they put you down a little bit, you can have a playful thing because then they've engaged with you and and they've gone, I'm game. And you go, great, you're game, let's play some back and forth. Great. But I think if you just point at someone and say something like nasty, I'm like, oh, fuck you. They've paid to watch you perform and you've like, you get it less so, I think, with people of my generation, certainly the old guard of stand up. You get it much more with them and every time I watch it, I just think, write a fucking joke. Yeah. <laughs> Stop getting your gags off what someone's wearing. Yeah. It's embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourself. Write a joke. <laughs> you know, and... Uh...
0: How do you deal with hecklers? if like, you had some fairly... Um.
1: I mean, heckling happens so much less than people think it does. Really? Thinks it does. Yeah. I mean, I think it might happen... To do some... you reckon it
0: happens a lot more at places like the sort of jonglers where people are there for like a night out and they're drunk and you've got the one person yeah, trying to I show think... off? And...
1: Yeah, and like, uh, you know, n- not so much. No, I never really played jonglers, but... You know, there was a long period where I was in the clubs every weekend. Now it's it's much, much less. Um, But, you know, yeah, you'd have people say rude things or you'd, you know, it would always be something homophobic.
0: Always? Always. Never just like you're a woman, it was always you're gay.
1: Oh, occasionally you're a woman. But mainly? But mainly you're gay. And it would always be men. Yeah. And then I'd always, I'd, I'd often ask them to stand up and then I'd explain the reasons to the audience why I wouldn't want to have sex with a man like them. And then they'd feel very silly and then they will never heckle anyone again.
0: Amazing. So that's just the go-to. It would always
1: be something about me being gay. And I'd always just be like, right, okay, let's, okay, let me talk to you what you do for a job. Okay, and you think that you're so brilliant that I should fancy someone like you. Okay, so let's (laughs) go through. And then I can be really nice.
0: And then you make them laugh. Do you you ever have that? And then you win them over. You make
1: them laugh. And then, you know, there's little tricks that you can do. Yeah, uh, because ultimately
0: you want to like, Shoot them down, but do it in a way that doesn't make you seem mean spirited. Yeah, and but bring if they them on side. You,
1: then, then
0: fair game. Well, yeah. I yeah. mean, I've had
1: that before when someone's heckled me, and I've gone, "Okay, let's do this." The clubs and are all off. Even Start cheering. Yeah, and yeah,
0: like, yeah, yeah. Tear them apart. Tear them <laughs> apart. It's like a bloodbath. Yeah.
1: Um, but, and you know, there, there certainly was a time where I would get a bit of a kick out of being able to take down a heckler. Yeah. Now I find it quite boring because I'm like, I've prepared stuff that's much better than what I'm gonna improvise about you. But, um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it's, you know, I'd only been asked to someone if they bring that to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and it's, you know, nine times out of 10, the man that heckles you is like the, the grimmest looking guy who looks like he doesn't take care of himself and is wearing a shirt that doesn't quite fit and has sweat patches, and you're like, <laughs> you're the guy you're the guy that's going to turn me back onto men, are you? Yeah,
0: yeah, okay. yeah.
1: and, like, you're just, you know, it's a really weird, yeah. But, I mean, like, you know, you can imagine the kind of guy that's going to have a problem with a woman saying she's gay. You know, like, it's, um, it's just, you know, it's, just, it's a strange thing to be angry on behalf of somebody else about. It's very odd. But, um, yeah, but, you know, sometimes people heckle and they're joining in, and that's a different thing because they're excited and it's fun. And they want to be part of it. And they'll say something and be like, I've done that or I've been there or why did you get that? like and then you can tell that they're like, oh, okay, this is you just want to be involved a little bit and that's all right as well. You know, sometimes it's a bit annoying if you're getting into a bit of material and someone like disrupts your rhythm. Yeah, 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 but... of course.
0: Well, because you're trying to keep your mind on track as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly.
1: Aren't you? But also, you know, some people really like to they wanna have a little moment of chatting to you. Or you might have spoke to them earlier and then you're getting into it and they still think that the conversation's happening.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you also don't want to be horrible because you're like, oh,
1: (laughs) mate, I'm sort of at work now. Yeah, 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 Um, yeah, yeah. But um, but it's very, um, yeah, generally, you know, but I think there's certain people that it happens more for. You know, like, there are certain comics that... I mean, I think people that like quite rough, slightly... Uh aggressive stand up probably not coming to see me
0: which is a good thing which right Which is a good thing because i'm i'm
1: playful <laughs> yeah yeah but it's more like storytelling with jokes at the end and you know you probably won't come to my it's if you're on a mixed bill like you know if you're always on a mixed bill with like kevin bridges and frankie Boyle, i'd probably be a bit worried that you toured with kevin something. a lot right i've no i've done a few shows with kevin shows. I, can't, I can't say that i've toured with him a lot but he's hilarious him. he's hilarious he's also such a nice guy He's such a lovely man. I really like Kevin. I also think he's I, he's a fantastic, he's a phenomenal comic.
0: And he was like straight out the gate, eighteen, nineteen, oh, massive, right?
1: Annoying.
0: Someone's <laughs> so naturally good at it.
1: It's a like, Scottish thing, fuck I think. Off, mate. I
0: do think two of the funniest people on earth are Australians and, and Scots. They just have some sort of a inbuilt command of language and view of the world. Yeah. I think for me, which just makes them naturally more inherently funny. Kevin is just,
1: <laughs> Kevin is a really special comic, I think. I think he's really, he's really, really brilliant comic. And a lovely bloke as well, which is really nice. It was really nice when I sort of got to know, not that I know him well at all, When I got to know him a little bit. Just like, oh, you're really nice. You're a really nice bloke. and I'm going for a pint with you. Yeah. You're really cool. And that's really, and he was, you know, again, someone that I, you know, he wasn't massive, He was like getting really big when I was like an open spot. And then at that time when I was like just watching everyone's special, well DVDs then before the specials were happening. And I still pretty much watch, you know, I watch a lot of comedy, but I was watching everything. If someone was playing near me, you know, I knew if people were like doing drop-ins at the store or at Banana Cabaret or any of the other clubs, you know, I'd know I'd go down after my set. I can remember going and doing like two open mic gigs on a Saturday and then going and watching whoever was closing at the store just to watch, you know, because I just loved every, all of it. I wanted all of it. I, yeah. and, and because I think I was like, I was quite good at acting. I got into drama school. I was pretty good at it. But when I found stand-up, I was like, oh, I could be good at this. You know, and, I, and then I had that. And I you had, can
0: apply the, the tricks and the trades. Yeah.
1: you
0: learn yeah. and then I had to a, act.
1: Yeah. And I had a period where I was like, at the beginning, I was really good. I was better than I sort of should have been. And then I had like a crisis of confidence and I was a bit shit for a bit and I thought about giving up and then I really worked hard and I got good again. Um, but it's that, um, yeah, you sort of, you know, like you know, like musicians or anyone else, you sort of become obsessed by the craft.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're looking and trying to absorb as many different styles yep. of performances as and possible. And how do they do
1: that? And oh God, and like, you know, and there are club comics that are, um, that aren't necessarily famous people, but like, I was working a little while ago with Ian Stone, who's been doing stand-up forever, since long before I, I was doing it, probably like 20 odd years, and he always has new material. He's always talking about stuff that happened like in the papers that day. He's got such a keen, quick brain, that you just watch him going, this is, like, no one's stopping him down the street, but you're so phenomenal at what you do you're so brilliant you're, you're the best at this thing 20 minutes a night talking about stuff that's happening in a live environment you're so great and yeah I just watching people you know watching all types of stand up
0: well, it gets you inspired right
1: yeah totally and it makes you think and fuck, makes you I need your to game write. yeah exactly yeah. exactly as soon as you start like sort of playing with the big boys that's why I think part of the reason I got so at the moment my show's been kicked into shape quite quickly because I'm touring at the minute Josh Widdicombe is doing a um, warm up tour and he said to me, Do you want to come and do 25 minutes? It's every Tuesday we do it together. We're going just around the home counties, playing little theatres. He's like, Do you want to come and do 25 minutes? You can do new material. I was like, Yeah, great. Because then I can go on. I can be like, Oh, I'm doing, Josh is doing new stuff. He's working off notes. I'm doing new stuff. I'm working off notes. And, you know, I'm doing new to somebody else's audience who haven't paid to see me. It really makes you up your game really quickly because, you know, if someone's paid to see you, they don't mind watching you.
0: You feel like you've got them on side already, right? Yeah. yeah
1: but they don't know that I'm there. I'm like this added bonus. And some people will be like, oh great, free. And some people will be like, um, I've paid for the guy from the last leg, so can I have him please? So.
0: Do you get those people?
1: Oh yeah. You do? But you win them round. Yeah. It's funny enough yeah, yeah, win yeah. them round, not yeah. you know. Um,
0: That's but, the fun challenge of it as well, yeah. it must be right, like yeah. I'm gonna get you.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. And the fun thing for me is like, so since I've been doing this tour with Josh, it's been about six weeks. I've written twenty-five minutes of new stuff that's now cooking on gas that I could do anywhere. But getting that stuff good enough and going on with new and like you know, and Josh and I driving to the gig and me going. I was thinking about doing a tag on to this bit. Didla didla. Do did you think that's funny? And him being like, Yeah, I think that is funny. And then me going on stage, me doing it, him listening in the wings. That bit did work. And all that's that's what is the really creative part of comedy. You know, once you've written the show, you sort of put it in gear and do the show. Yeah. When you're in the stage where you've got enough material that you don't feel you're not shitting yourself, but it's not finished, is when it's really fun.
0: And the linking of them all together, yeah. right, is the, the yeah. subtle yeah. finishing the, touch, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So at the moment, my show, I don't know if this is interesting to anyone that's not a comedian, my show is like six bits, and I've written, I write them all out on pieces of paper, and then every preview, I move the bits around. Go, okay, we'll start with that bit, and we'll end with that bit, and we'll put it in you know one two three four five the next show will be two three one five like
0: sequencing an album like a musician would trying to find the right I journey
1: so. i guess so um but yeah so it's um
2: yeah <laughs> so, you, so you're
0: off to edinburgh august right yeah, um, yeah. and then your tour is basically throughout october november december can you tell us anything can you give us any yeah insights well, the tour into what we're going to be talking about into, it's dances like everyone's watching is that what it's like everyone's watching yep.
1: yeah it then goes, Then, then there's, there's then 20 dates in the spring as well.
0: Oh, wow. And people want tickets, com.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's dates being added all the time, basically. It sounds can,
0: like a joyous title. So yeah. So is that an, an insight into so the tone?
1: the show this year, I mean, sort of similar to what we've been discussing over the last what, 45 minutes is, um, or maybe the listeners can tell by my voice, I'm happy at the moment, which is a really lovely place yeah. to be for me. Uh, as, or for anyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As an audience, it's not really ideal for you, because what you want from a stand-up is for them, for everything to be a bit shit, yeah, and then they'll make it really funny. yeah. And so this year's show is about whether you can be funny. And happy. And happy.
0: And do you need to suffer for your art? Like, Do you need to be a bit down miserable. to be great?
1: Yeah, but then, I'm happy in myself, but then the world seems well, to the be on fire.
0: Yes. Yeah,
1: and how much can you ignore that? and how much...
0: So you definitely feel like you're becoming more political, perhaps, or socio-political? Yeah,
1: I think so. I mean, I think there's always... It's, you know, being on stage with a microphone, being a woman, being gay. You know, it's you sort of can't help but feel like you're being slightly political by just being there. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I think uh, I've always been a little bit political. Am I being more political this year? I don't know. Maybe? It's still being written. Right, it's still being written. It might change dramatically. But, yeah, it's called Dance Like Everyone's Watching because that is a mistake my mum made. You know those signs that say <laughs> Dance Like No One's Watching? Yeah. My mum thought it was Dance Like Everyone's Watching, which is a great <laughs> indicator of who she is as a person. Yeah. And to my whole family. And it's gr- what a great like title for a show. Just show off. Yeah. Everyone in my family is show offs. We're all show offs. And the idea of my mum saying Dance Like Nobody's Watching, I'm like, why would you do that?
0: Yeah, makes no sense. Makes no sense. Well, Dance goodness. Like
1: Everyone's Dance Like It's an Audition. Yeah. And that's what you need to dance like. And so um, so that became the title of the show. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it's quite joyous. And then uh, I'll talk about other stuff that's less joyous. Less so. But try and make it joyous. But, uh, yeah, I think for a long time I've talked on stage about things that have been sort of quite tragic for me, about death um, or about um, heartbreak, I had a terrible... Breakup that I felt like, ah, oh, you know, you have one. I think you get one or two where you
0: the last one for me. Yeah, was two years ago and it still stings.
1: Yeah, you build your, your... does it ever end? Well, I'm 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 very happy <laughs> just now. You need to
0: find new love, right?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Until then, I think I was still a bit broken
1: when I got with my with my girlfriend Alice. I think I was still a bit bruised by it all. Yeah, but she was sort of she sort of had enough love to be like, that's okay, you yeah. can take it slow. And I was always I was really honest with her from the off, being like. I was just coming out of something that was quite hard. You know, it was, you know, quite a few months later, but uh, it wasn't it hadn't been as long as a year yet. And uh, I also had a breakup. that was a very slow, drawn out, breaking up, and then we're back together again, and then we're breaking up. I again. see, that's oh, never...
0: A- Once it's over, it's over. It's over, it? yeah,
1: totally. But you learn these things. Yeah. And again, that's a little bit about what the show's about as well, is that I've learned about what my idea of love was and what love actually is. And my idea of what my career might look like and what it actually is. My idea of what my home life would look like and what it actually is. And what I've sort of realized in writing the show, and I don't know if I'll say this as bluntly on stage, but what I've realized is the idea of what I wanted isn't actually as good as what the, the realness is. Like I thought the love was this like mad roller coaster that was up and down and like these huge emotions that were, where like it felt like drugs and it felt like you were intoxicated all the time. Whereas love is actually you watching a series together both on your phones next to each other. And it feels really easy. But I remember people saying that to me when I was in previous relationships that were more uncertain. And I remember thinking, God, that sounds really boring.
0: I had the same thing. I used to work with a guy called Loz at uh, Kerrang Radio. Mm-hmm. And he had a wife at the time, still does. And he'd be going on every day at the studio about how what, what Netflix show he was going to be watching that night. And I was like, man, I hope I never end up the guy that's married sat at home watching Netflix with my wife because that sounds like the most boring thing in the world. And I was in my mid-twenties when he was yeah. saying And now I'm like, actually, that does sound like quite a nice, peaceful, oh. happy place to be.
1: But it's, yeah, and that's the thing. And I think that you, your idea of what, you know, it's not just sitting at home watching Netflix. It's dinners and it's Creature comforts, it's, right? It's, yeah, yeah, and like going on holiday together and doing really simple, like this, like, I don't I don't know, like yesterday we went and saw a friend that just had a baby, had a baby for a bit. I was then going to a gig, but I had half an hour to spare. So we just, we were in the car and we pulled over and we just walked around Wandsworth Common to kill 25 minutes. It was so nice. Was it, was it so sunny? It was so nice. The sun was out. Was there you go. It was brief period where the sun shined for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's the thing, it becomes so much more about that person and the moments that you the have, things, yeah. yeah. And I think that that's, I guess, that's part of the show as well. It's the thing that I was, I guess, it's on my mind because I was writing about that today, about, you know, what you, th- what you think love is in your twenties to what you know love is in your thirties. And If someone had told, like, I also need to be careful that I don't sound condescending to the twenty-year-olds in the room. There we go. But certainly for me, you know, it always has to be about you. For me, my idea of what love was, like, you know, the hot and cold. People cheating, yeah, yeah. like not really trusting them. That all that sort of stuff. You know, Alice could walk into a room and you know, Cara Delevingne could be in there saying, "Do you want to go home with me?" I know that Alice would be like, "Oh, that would be lovely," but I really, I better not. (laughs) I just know that she'd do that, and she knows that I'd do that. You know, and that's the thing that is really comforting.
0: Susie you're a lovely lady thank oh, well, you so thanks. much for a I'm wonderful really talk secretly, but... uh, and congratulations on all your success thanks. and uh, good luck with with the tour and getting it into shape and yeah I come on again good. another time perhaps in the new year when you've got the round two happening. yeah I'd we'll love do a part to do two.
1: That. yeah I can tell you whether it was funny <laughs> whether I'm still funny when I'm happy you'll know if I've decided yeah, there to we go We can answer these questions then
0: <laughs> um yeah loved it thank you very much thank for your you time very
1: much. so nice